This is Cinema Degeneration. If I may put forward a slice of personal philosophy, I feel that man has ruled this world as a stumbling, demented child king long enough. And as his empire crumbles, my precious black widow shall rise as his most fitting successor. I'm Frederick Lawrence. I've rented the house on Haunted Hill tonight so that my wife can give a party. A haunted house party. She's so amusing. There'll be food and drink and ghosts. And perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. Can you look around this world and believe in the goodness of a god who rules it? Famine, pestilence, war, disease, and death. They rule this world. The mark of Satan is upon them. They must hang. And now for you, Bartholomew, my beloved brother, while you are still alive, my ultimate device of torture. Now he must die. The Dr. Death that we created, he must die. I am not afraid. There is always room for more in the coffin of time. The instinct is alive within me. And you, Dr. Death, are you afraid? No. No, you're going home. Come. Nine killed you. Nine shall die. Nine eternities in doom. The tingler has been paralyzed by your screaming. There is no more danger. We will now resume the showing of the movie. There's definitely something very weird going on here. Detective Roger Mortis has a problem. He's dead. But Detective Bigelow folks welcome once again to cinema degenerations vincent price appreciation month and we have a quite an interesting little ditty for you this evening we are going to be reviewing and dissecting (laughs) we're going to be reviewing and dissecting 1988's dead heat starring treat williams joe piscopo lindsey frost darren mcgavin and yes the man himself in a very small role the price is arthur p loudermilk but before I get ahead of myself, I want to uh, introduce my guest co-host for the evening. He's my good buddy, Scott Tepperman. How the hell are you? Oh, man. Awesome, as always. Good to good to be back. Yeah, it's been a couple of months uh, hiatus since we've recorded. We got another sequel to Deja Vu episode banked, but uh, that one's uh, it's on the back burner for a little bit while we 
crank out these Vincent Price episodes. It had been a couple of months before since I had uh, done an appreciation month, and I wanted to do one on Vincent Price since I started the show almost a year and a half ago. So it's just, you know, just seemed a high time to to get started on it. Now Absolutely. I gotta ask before we start getting into Dead Heat, and I do the IMDb synopsis and we do a deep dive on it. I gotta ask, uh, you know, what is your relation to being a fan of Vincent Price? What is and is is this your favorite movie, or do you have a favorite Vincent Price movie? Um, to be honest, and it's I don't uh, for fear of sounding like sacrilegious here. Um, I'm I was never a huge fan of Vincent Price's films. I was a fan of the fact that um, I grew up. He was, to be honest, he was pretty much before we really, you and I, and and uh, you know, pretty much our peers before we really became uh, adults. We were still in kids and teens when he was, you know, um, kind of wrapping up his career, so to speak. So um, I, I, I wasn't overly familiar with a lot of his films. Um, there's a few standouts like House on Haunted Hill and The, Ting- the Tingler is probably, you know, way up there for me. But um, the William and, uh, Castle stuff is pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, all, all, all William Castle stuff is. But um, I respected William, uh, William. I respected Vincent Price a lot because the man was in everything and the man embodied horror. He became he was like the face of horror for many many years and every time you saw him it was synonymous with twisted and 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 you know horror and all that stuff and even thriller when he did his little thing on thriller uh on the song he became immortalized on in because of that for a newer generation doing um, an evil rap the thing uh, i would just, never yeah. have thought i would have heard uh vincent price do but that was amazing exactly. yeah I, I mean just and and so then i started really looking into a lot of his films and uh He's just there's a presence about him, and there there people say this all the time, and they use it you know loosely to describe somebody, but there really will be nobody like him ever again. And you know that kind of having that kind of uh, aura around you, and that kind of respect that you command, even in tiny roles over the years, um. It's very, very impressive. So I started really liking him more as a person and as a figurehead of embodying horror in general. And so certain films I like from him, and you know, I have, have a ton of them, but uh, Comedy of Terrors, Conqueror Worm, you know, stuff like Tales of Terror. Um, I just but, got Conqueror Worm on a uh, Laserdisc, actually. Oh, nice. Uh, a, cool. couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I pro- I'm looking right now all the videos i don't have the, any laser disc of those but i probably have 30 of his films um and so yeah i, I like the man i was never really blown away by him or his films uh, you know as a fan there but i, I liked him more so but then right. you know over the years i start looking back at some of these films and i'm like they were kind of um uh messed up movies i mean even for you know they were ahead of their time they were kind of uh you know madhouse is <laughs> badass um, that's my actual my personal favorite uh, yeah, personal I mean, favorite is madhouse i love that movie. yeah there's some twisted movies that he did that you know it's like damn mask of the red death it's like shit, the rate you know was he in the raven he had been in the raven. oh yeah yeah he was oh, in the raven yeah the raven yes, was. so it's you know it's it's impressive he's got a huge impressive body of work and um he definitely uh, had the generational appeal uh, for people all different ages love this guy for whatever reason. Um, but I can see why they, they have, and I can see why they do. And I can see why he continues to endure uh, many years after his passing. 
it's it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I don't think any, anybody really had much of a as, as long of a run as he, they as he did as, at the top of his game. I mean, from the mid fifties to you know really the mid to late seventies. You know, and he's still working you know throughout the eighties and whatnot. But it, I mean, it, he, it's, he, well, it's not even anything. And this is no disrespect at all because you know how she is. She's a legend. But like, even look look at Jamie Lee Curtis. She did Halloween, Terror Train, and Prom Night, and became labeled as the scream queen that was pretty much three films that did that for you know jennifer love hewitt did i know what you did last summer and i still know what you did last summer and he she became a 90 screen queen you know all overnight it's and these are two or three films just imagine the the, the body work that vincent price had talk about two or three films jesus this guy had tons of horror films in the genre that just redefined horror as you know, as hard evolved into what we know as uh, know it as today, his his uh, so many of his films were so instrumental in steering it in that direction. So I mean, it it's just it's huge, and to call a screen king would be an understatement. I mean, he's the man. He is the man. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I totally agree. Well, now let's go ahead and start getting off into dead heat. Okay, I'll give the quick IMDb's IMDb synopsis. Very, very short, very thin. All right, Dead Heat, 1988, is as follows. A cop and his undead partner must chase down the diabolical villain who killed him. And that's pretty much the the plot of the movie. I mean, as much as I love this movie, it is very, very short on plot. (laughs) It is all effects, one-liners, cheesy-80s-ness, and I love it for it. I I used to always call movies like this a guilty pleasure, but in recent years, I've... uh, thrown out the the guilty pleasure pleasure uh tagline because it's it, it doesn't fit for me i just have movie i movies that i unabashedly love and this is one of them if there's one movie that uh, embodies uh 80s action and horror at the same time i truly believe it's dead heat is at the top of the heap yeah i mean it, it, you know i i use i use guilty pleasures when it's something that would I, I, I don't think Dead Heat fits into a guilty pleasure just because it's actually a good movie. Um, it really is. Oh, it's it's um, funny and it's entertaining I, I, and it's never right. fucking boring. No, and I also think that guilty pleasures, for me anyway, when I talk to people about guilty pleasure films, they're off the beaten path from what somebody would think that I would like. Um, is what I would yeah, consider. That's fair enough. Yeah. It could be a good film, but it, for me to admit that, it's like, oh my God, you like that movie? And that's those are my guilty pleasures. Um, but no, Dead Heat is well. I don't want to get ahead of it. Go ahead and sorry, I'm just. <laughs> oh no, I was just going to give a you little mentioned, bit. Of you tr- mentioned doing a Vincent Price uh, show, and I and I thought right away everyone would be thinking all these other films, and I'm like, how about Dead Heat? <laughs> like that's the first one. I well, to my you know, head. I was glad somebody picked it because yeah, I usually I let people pick their own movie, you know, because it's something that they're they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm already passionate on the subject, so I always have the ones that I would, uh, you know, pick. And also I was secretly thinking in the back of my head, somebody's going to pick Dead Heat. And if not, I'm just going to choose somebody to do it with. So I was glad when you chose it. Nice. Because it's it's one of his last films, you know, was uh, towards the later end of his career. He would uh, pass away a few years later, uh, shortly after doing Edward Scissorhands. And, and he's not in this movie much, so we're not going to have a whole lot of th- th- to say about, you know, his performance. He's really in the, the tail end of the final act. Right. But, you know, once you really uh, realize uh, what's at stake in this movie, 
and what's going on and who's you know i'm using air quotes here that nobody can see who's in charge right it, it you can't talk about it without talking about vincent price right, right. but yeah. i think a couple of the notes here this was uh, the first film directed by marco blett i think it was the only one of two films that he directed he also directed uh, the original punisher Mm-hmm. With uh, Dolph Lundgren, and he did a couple episodes of uh, Erie, Indiana. So you know, I not very so. prolific. Yeah, not very. Pro- oh, I love Erie, Indiana. Not prolific as a director, but really prolific as an editor. He did uh, a couple of the X Men movies, The Planet of the Apes, Terminator Two, True Lies, Predator Two, Rambo, you name it, and and, and about thirty others, and. You know, if, I I think he's uh, it's it's kind of sad that he only directed those two movies because I also admit uh, the Punisher. I guess that there's really one movie that's sort of a a guilty pleasure. That might be it, nice. because I, I I feel like I'm one of the only people I know that that likes that movie. But <laughs> I, I like it for cheese for the cheese factor. I'm here for the cheese, right? But the the thing about this movie is the unorthodox casting of putting treat williams and a couple of years fresh out of uh, snl joe piscopo in this movie it's a shame to me that joe piscopo didn't become a, a bigger star after oh, snl than he did because yeah, he don't was even funny yeah don't even start with me joe piscopo i i love that guy and to be honest i've wanted him for pretty much every one of the night any one of the los bastards productions i love that guy um i i think he's um uh, very, very intelligent. I think, to be honest, he's probably one of the best that SNL has ever had. Which, saying that nowadays is 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 uh, not saying anything. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> back then, you know, when they were churning out these stars, he was fantastic. And you know, I loved him in Wise Guys. I mean, oh, Wise Guys brilliant. was so good. And he basically took the same character, Mo Mo Dickstein, and brought it into Dead Heat. Um, Joe Piscopo, he's just just he's a he's a very he's a genius his professional work is amazing and yeah he's never been that really that breakout star and i I think he's fine with that you know he does talk shows he does radio shows does whatever he seems to be very content type of guy which is cool um because he also has that that whole you know bodybuilding fitness uh stuff that he's did for years as well uh i guess kind of like that jake steinfeld almost i think the two of them were <laughs> yeah yeah he's like body by jake at it. yeah something like that but um no he was he's, tough uh, in this movie jesus he was bursting out of those t-shirts <laughs> yeah no, he's, he's uh yeah definitely and treat williams i can't say enough good about treat williams uh i mean god i mean uh things to do in denver when you're dead deep rising prince of the deep city deep rising uh, is one of the most un- criminally underrated films ever made love that movie Love one that. of my favorite creature features he yeah, basically like, plays a a like almost another version of like a han solo in that movie yeah, i always exactly. said his character is kind of like a is like a you know a dime store equivalent of uh han solo <laughs> yeah i mean he was in everwood which is a very critically acclaimed show that was a great show and he was his acting chops were off the charts in that um I've tried to approach him before to get in something too. Uh, and that was, that was met with, uh, to no avail, but, um, yeah, I mean, I have a yeah, lot you of, never know if you don't try. Never, never, never know. 
I still think my favorite uh, role of his is just because it's so opposite of what he usually does was things to do in Denver where you're dead. Yeah, yeah, that's a great movie. When he plays Critical Bill, he has the best line, <laughs> the best line of any movie character ever when he says, I am Godzilla and you are Japan. <laughs> you know, it's just great stuff. And at, speaking of one-liners, we'll get into my first question here because this movie, in my notes, I got two pages full of notes and half the notes are writing down one-liners from this. You know, uh, do you have a favorite one-liner from Dead Heat? There's there are so many um, that it's really tough to pick one. But I I would think my favorite exchange is when um, and I actually wrote this down. But uh, Doug was uh, um, Joe Piscopo and Roger Mortis. Little foreshadowing there was Treat Williams. Yeah, and we'll get so, into that. I love yeah. his name, Roger so, Mortis. A little yeah. bit like rigor Mortis. <laughs> right. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, Doug says, hey, Roger, you underwater in that jacuzzi for five straight minutes. Roger said, yeah, that's right. I was. And Doug said, can you teach my girlfriend how to do that? <laughs> <laughs> These are nonstop to this movie. And and you'd think that, you know, people that don't like Joe Piscopo and there's for some reason there's there's a lot of people that don't like him. Um, just, you know, like with anybody. But uh, this movie is not for you because he will gr- he will grate on you very quickly. Um, because he's constantly, he's never, he, he's pretty much one step away from breaking the fourth wall through the whole movie. Um, yeah, he's almost looking so, for the camera every step constantly, of the way. Chewing the scenery, everything. But it's brilliant, and he's flawless at it. And everything is well-timed and perfectly delivered, and it's just expert. It's expertly acted. He knows the timing, he knows the beats, he knows when to wait, he knows when to not wait, he knows when to... Fantastic. But they go on throughout the entire movie. There's so many one-liners and good one-liners. You know, by fa- I think my favorite one-liner is uh, is not even uttered by any of the main characters. Is when the the jewelry heist is ha- happening at the beginning, and the lady comes in with a tray full of jewels. What are you doing? And he's like, "Well, oh, just looking." And he just sprays and he bullets everywhere. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's probably my favorite one-liner. But, uh, yeah, I mean, let's talk about how this movie begins. It uh, opens up with the, you know, the magnificent, that magnificent epic score, which I have to say the score is out of this world in this movie. I forgot to write down who did the, the score of this, but he's great. Uh, these these guys that are robbing this uh, jewelry store already look like shit. You know, as we're going to be talking about, this is a movie about people that are being resurrected, and these cops are trying to fight them in a way they don't know that at the beginning that they're they're fighting people that are being resurrected they just know this jewelry heist uh, the snatch and grab i think they call them right yeah something like that yeah and uh but they're you know people are resurrecting them to rob jewelry stores you know my you know if you're going to have that kind of stuff at your disposal might as well but having them rob jewelry stores for you but they're already uh you know, the one-liner with the the old lady who is looking at the necklace. I'm looking for something more suspenseful. I'm like, oh, you're going to get it in about three, <laughs> two, one. But I love how it cuts to Mortis and Bigelow traveling in the car. Great 80s introduction, classic 80s style, traveling around in that 60s hot rod. Because, you know, when you're going undercover and incognito, you, you drive around in a red convertible 60s hot rod. Right. But... Uh, What's got to be mentioned here when they're uh, <laughs> when they're first introduced is Roger, who is Street Williams, and Joe Piscopo is Doug. Doug's just 
mugging again, mugging at the camera, almost like he's looking straight into your soul. Not and and Treat Williams is just looking at him like he's already had enough of him. Right. Like he's looking at he's looking at him like some of the some of the you know the uh, audience is probably looking at him like oh my god how <laughs> how long is this going to go on? But it, it's so great. But we do get a great uh, cameo or not a really cameo a bit part by Robert Picardo. Yep. Yeah, as as the lieutenant, almost like a blinking you miss it kind of. Right, and I didn't realize I never realized that until I caught the name right. It's one of the first names that comes up at the end credits. I'm like, oh, wait a minute, oh yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, it's 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 a great mixture of uh, action and horror because these guys are already looking like hell. They they basically they look like the zombies that they are, and. I love the way uh, 80s cops act. The cop, freeze, drop your weapons, and then pulls the trigger about a quarter of a second yeah. later without right. any implication of... <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little on the on the nose uh, <laughs> with tr- trigger-happy cops in this one. Well, you know, if, if I can... Um, I don't really want to... I don't mean to get off topic a little bit, but the, my thing is ooh, there's there's a lot of reasons why I like Dead Heat as much as I do. Um, and if I can, if I may digress for one second and oh, go yeah. back and just tell you this real quick, but when I started, I worked at Blockbuster, ugh, but I also worked at mom and pop video stores um, throughout the years. And the very first store I worked at, it was one of the greatest jobs I ever had. It was just a small, unassuming little video store. It was always VHS and beta and you, you, you know, put put up whatever on the shelves. And it was the first time I really started looking my boss was actually giving me more responsibility. They were going out of town or something. And I think it was 14 or 15 running the store. And they said, go to the catalog. We have like $500. Um, go to the catalog and order one or two copies of, you know, whatever films you want. Make sure you get one of these new releases, one of these, whatever. But all the movies, you know, back then were like $89 unless they had, you could buy two for $59, you know, something like that. But They were, they were so like, expensive back yeah. then, weren't they? So I'm looking at this giant catalog, flipping through. And I liked horror at that time. I swear to God, I liked horror like like seven or eight years old. I loved it. But I'm looking, and I came across this thing that said Dead Heat. I had no idea what this movie was. And it was just a photo. It was an ad slick in the middle of the magazine. And it was a photo of Joe Piscopo. And it looked like there was this big – I couldn't tell at the time. But it looked like this – it was a blue lighting. And it looked like this muddy – dead carcass laying on top of him and i'm like what is that and anyway a couple other pictures um you know in the ad as well smaller shots of blood and gore and i'm like this looks like the goriest bloodiest greatest thing i've ever seen um so that and was it kind of is <laughs> right and so that was my <laughs> very first um my very first thing about that heat and then i remember even at this young age i remembered probably 15 but when the movie came in um and and it was kind of the synopsis hasn't changed over the years, and it was pretty much all these buddy buddy movies are coming out, especially in the wake of Lethal Weapon and all that, you know, um, even Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, Lethal but Weapon. It was, it was, and, it was, it was all this, hours. Yeah, it was all like pair these mismatched team together and let them do their thing. So, as an '80s film, and I love you know I love '80s movies. You know how you and I are, but as an oh, '80s yeah. film, it would have been fine if it was just like a dead partner. And a live partner are trying to figure out who, you know, is behind whatever. That would have been fine, given the '80s mentality and mindset. That would have worked perfectly. 
But Dead Heat is so much more. Like, I actually don't agree with you when you said there's not much to it. I think it's so layered. I mean, to me, it's a, it's literally, it plays like a cross between The Terminator, The Hidden, A Big Trouble in Little China, and it plays it flawlessly. There's so much going on. And when you think that... I would, agree, I would kind definitely of agree with out, The Big Trouble in Little China. I would definitely so, agree with The Big Trouble in Little China. It's just, and the movie delivered a lot more than honestly a lot more than it needed to i don't think anybody was expecting much from it they were too even to this day and and you know i for i don't want to you know upset anybody but they're two b-list actors and they never really either of them really attained much higher than that but back then they were like unknown b-list actors the movie didn't really have to it didn't really have any expectations to meet but it shattered anything that possibly people could have had because it delivered so much more than than it needed to now i gotta ask did you ever see the tv cut that has a couple extra scenes edited together in it i don't i don't have it but i did see it a while ago it was more like a work print or something but yeah 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 i I just remember catching it late night on like uh, i think i might have been a monster vision or something like that yeah i think that's what i saw but it's got a, a cameo uh, at the when they go to Arthur P. Loudermilk's uh, graveside or his crypt when Roger and uh, Randy go there. And there is a cameo by uh, Dick Miller, which right. is, to me is just sacrilege that they cut Dick Miller out of it. But right. I, I love that. I remember recording that off of, t- off of TV uh, onto a shoddy old VHS that I still have laying around here somewhere in one of my, t- my TV bins. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think this movie is classic 80s cheese all the way. And I I say cheese with the utmost respect because, you know, it's just like pizza. Everybody loves cheese. You know, you got the, the, you got bad cops. You're like, not that they're bad cops, not that Roger and Doug are bad cops, but all the surrounding cops, they're just red shirts. They're just there to get shot, (laughs) just to get shot up. So you got a bunch of red shirt cops. You got the obligatory classic loud captain who I recognized this time. I had never recognized where I had seen him before, Mel Stewart, but he was Dr. Graves and Bride Reanimator. Nice. I did not notice that until this time around. That's, I don't think I did either. But, uh, you know, once once they start kind of getting into the, the, de- the detective side of the things and they go to start investigating, and that's when they meet uh, Rebecca Smithers, which is an old flame of uh, Rogers. And they're still on good terms, but not so good terms. <laughs> You know, is this one of those? It's like they. I feel like he he was keeping her on the back burner for so long that she just it's like kind of like get, the, you left me at the altar type of relationship type of yeah relationship. Yeah. yeah 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 exactly. <laughs> and this is where you get one of my favorite character actors uh, uh, playing McNabb, Darren McGavin, who was Kolchak the Night Stalker, amongst other things. But I'm always going to know him as Kolchak. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, he. He is um he was my favorite in this film. Uh and and the reason being is um first of all I love Kolchak and any he, anything he was in he would class up. He was it was just a joy to see him on the screen. Um I just liked the guy very much. I really really did. Um but what's cool for me anyway, there's a lot of actors that have been around and old timers that have won these awards or have been very critically acclaimed and established over the years. And later on in their career, they do a horror film or two here and there, maybe just to stay relevant, maybe just to phone it in for a paycheck. 
and um and you can tell and certain ones are good like there was a uh, glenn ford who hung around a very long time he was almost 100 when he passed but he was in so many films that guy in these tiny little roles but he was good but you had like um gloria graham who was in i think she was in it's a wonderful life but she was in the nesting in this crappy throwaway scene and then you have darren mcgavin show up in dead heat he could have totally phoned it in because he's He's Darren McGavin. He could have been goofy and Kolchaki and whatever, and it would have been fine. But he was fantastic in this movie. He relished this role. He was having a good time. I enjoyed watching him because of that. I like watching him anyway. But when the actor's mm-hmm. truly into what they're doing, I got the feeling that he was just sitting around. And I'm like, hey, I'll do this. I'm going to have fun. He didn't even care about you it. You can tell he's I having fun. Had a blast. And he was this fucking evil bastard. He was great. He was great. He's he playing a character who's having fun doing what fantastic. he's doing. He's always kind of like he's like he's got a, like the like the laughs not not you know like he's he's in on the joke. Right. Like you know, I very much thought so. it was one of his. I almost thought it was possibly his. Dare I say maybe his best performance? <laughs> he was really really good in it. Um. I, yeah, I thought he was he thoroughly enjoyable in this movie. It was it was a lot lot like his his character I forget the name of the character he played but in Raw Deal with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh yeah, yeah. It was, another uh, role where Harry somebody I think. Yeah. Harry or something like. Harry, I'm sorry, I didn't know it was you. <laughs> <laughs> but he's 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 a guy who always seemed like he was having fun, and yeah. I, I love him in this movie. He's one of my favorite characters. But I love love he in this movie though he's always just showing up to further the plot along. Right. He's just always kind of showing up as like, oh, like, like, da, 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 da. Right. right. <laughs> but right. it's great. It's great. It is great. Yeah, it's wonderful. But uh, yeah, but we got to talk a little bit about Roger Mortis, his name. It's a little, <laughs> little on the nose. I mean, because considering <laughs> he eventually in this movie becomes an undead cop and his name is Roger Mortis, it is literally one letter away from being rigor mortis. Right. And, and they, I, mean, I love it. I love it. They wasted no time getting to that either. Right in the beginning of the movie, you know, just so if anyone was making that um making that connection, maybe oh this is whatever. No, they first ten minutes of the movie, I think he's pretty much killed. Oh yeah, um, about ten, twelve minutes in. They don't waste then, any and time. Comes right back and yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, I think one of my favorite. I got to ask you what one of your favorite scenes are. But first, I'm going to get to my favorite scene when they get to Dante Pharmaceuticals and they meet Randy uh, Lindsay Frost playing uh, Rand, Randy James, which was her first movie, by the way. They, mm-hmm. You would have thought that she had had a lot of movies under her belt by this time, right. but no, she, uh, this is her first movie. And Doug is around doing his little snooping, not really being very subtle, but he encounters that. What is just labeled in the uh, the cast list as the thing, which is a humanoid with kind of like a three face, it, horrible. Like I mean, and I mean horrible in a good way. Just disgusting looking creature. It's just kind of like Jabba the Hutt with three faces. It's this crazy looking thing. And then it's all hell breaks loose. And this is where Doug gets locked into the chamber where they depressurize it and kill animals because they do animal testing there. Poor animals. Uh, I'm glad at least with anything in this, they didn't kill any animals. They killed some right. undead undead animals. Right. But I, I love I love this scene paired with the scene in Chinatown. When they get to Chinatown, <laughs> that's what I was leading to. You know, the the Chinatown scene is where the where the the bulk of uh, I think Joe Piscopo's uh, brilliance pays off because he's got every one line you can possible believe possibly believe when they're getting to that scene. 
when they meet with uh, Thule. And <laughs> I mean, like when he's talking about drowning the big side of beef in A1 sauce, and he's like, that's it from now on, I'm a vegetarian. Tons of great one-liners. This movie, right. it spent about as much money on bullets as they spent on one-liners. Right. No, and, and it's funny because uh, the two scenes that you mentioned are my two favorites um, in the same order. Uh, you know, just because it's so when he's fighting that thing and it, it locks Doug right in there. That is so for me, it's it's so well choreographed and so vivid and it's so jarring because it's like, what the hell's just if you've never seen the film before, I envy you because you get to experience that the first time. But um. Like it's like oh my god he's he's what's happening he's dying in this thing like that's crazy um that like, whole you don't kill your main character twelve minutes right. into the movie what right. the fuck and that right and that whole choreographed scene was brilliant and in the Chinatown was just amazing like the 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 effects I mean you have to keep thinking that um there's no CGI <laughs> there's no anything else like that and these effects are are practical some of them are the camera trickery like when she's sitting in a bathroom and her hand is eroding away um yeah, there's some optical effects there's some you know, really good effects right there's some really good effects all around and um i mean it, it's not sloppy there's so they had a tendency a lot of times especially in movies weren't very you know high high budget but they had a tendency especially in the 80s to when it was more and more blood it would get sloppy like i love the movie with with all my heart it's probably my favorite one in the series but texas chancellor massacre part two there was some sloppy ass effect work in that movie but it there's was some glorious. stuff that, that, that comes off top notch but there's some others that are just a little mm, yeah little right little questionable but you know and and to me in dead heat i think everything pretty much looks spot on it, it looks really good especially given what they had and what they didn't have yeah I, i'm very impressed with the makeup in that film yeah, they didn't have an A-list bu- budget for this movie. No. This was like A-list expectations on a B-list budget. Right. I don't even know. I think they just didn't care. They said, let's just want to get a, fill, a film on the shelves, <laughs> put something out there. I, now, think... I have two questions for you, and sure. I'll pose them in order. One is I always thought it was Louder Milk who flipped the switch on Roger when they see that gloved hand come in and flip the switch that depressurizes the chamber. Uh I've, I've had this conversation with other people who think it was McNabb that did it, but from the look of it, the arm looked very thin, very frail, and I, I always thought it was louder milk. I didn't know if you ever had any thoughts on that, if you thought it was him or if you thought it was I, McNabb. I, I didn't think of it, but my thing is I just think McNabb was more of the sleazy henchman, and I think louder milk was probably the genius behind everything. So he probably, in, in all fairness, did. And that makes a lot of sense to me because he was the one that was behind the scenes. He would do whatever, just just enough to keep it moving. And then uh, McNabb would come in and basically he was like the sweeper. He'd come in or the cleaner. He'd come in and do whatever. So, yes, because he was very concerned at the end. He's like, you know, save the machine, save the machine. Uh, I, I can keep, you know, get all you guys eternal life and whatever. He was very concerned about that. Um, yeah. So that makes I never thought about that, but yeah. that makes sense to me. I guess um, it could go both ways. I guess I always kind of saw Louder Milk <coughs> as the owner of the company, and uh, McNabb was just like the acting manager. Even that, I don't even know, or maybe he thought he was, <laughs> and he wasn't really pulling any strings. Well, I don't, I don't think Louder Milk knew anything about like uh, the plans that you know that uh, McNabb had to of sending these reanimating these thugs to send them out to steal jewelry and right. I think high forms. Right, I think it was used wrong. <laughs> yeah, and, I know, think it was like I like, I love when he's like, 
Okay. He's like, shut up, you old fart. <laughs> Vincent Price, I'm like, wow, that's Vincent Price right there. Like, you don't talk to Vincent like that, man. I'm rolling up my That's like royalty, here. right? And really, it's not till I think I wrote it down. It was 32 minutes in that we finally get Vincent Price. When they go to, the yeah, on the, on the video, good old classic VHS. <laughs> yep. When he's all looking very, I remember the first time I saw this guy, I was excited because I always loved Vincent Price. Right. And I was just like, oh, man, was that it? Is that all we were right. going to get until he pops up in that last 15 minutes and you realize he's the one, he's been the puppet master. He's been the one pulling the strings. But like at the end, when you finally get to Price, he does, you know, he's very old at this time, but he looked quite dapper in that suit. And he, he always he, looked elegant. He sold his, he sold his role. It's, it's always, yeah, it was, I was going to say the same thing. Classy, um, uh, instantly owned the entire film once he stepped in, uh, stepped on his, his he um, stepped in front of the camera, and um, he was he was great in it. I mean, he, he still left an impression, uh, and oh, it yes. just, you know his character being behind the scenes and almost being the ringmaster behind everything, that doesn't matter. Like you, you could still have someone that has that kind of a role, that kind of an uh, an important role in a film, but. Uh, you don't just assume since it's it's the ringmaster or whatever that it's going to necessarily impact the film that much. His performance sold it. He had he was very um, assured. He was you know commanding. He really was. He was walking around. He was he looked like he was having a good time too. But he was there was an uh, a seriousness and intensity about him that oh, yes. uh, he's always delivered. And then he you know yes he looked a little more frail, but he was on it. He was really really on it. Yeah, you had no, no doubt that he was going to be able to whoop some ass if he had to throw right. it out. Totally, totally. I love this line when he says, you know, death doesn't discriminate, at least not right. until now. Right. You know, he's like, you know, everybody has to die, rich or poor, because it's like, but the same, you know, if you're poor, you have to die. He's like, right. the same doesn't apply to us. God wants us to live live forever. He loves us. We're rich. And it's just right. like, you believe him. You believe right. lo- Price is Loudermilk. It's just right. like, oh, this 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 guy has got it going on. He, no wonder right. he, he's got all these rich millionaires and billionaires, you know, ready to <laughs> lay down half their uh, fortunes for him. No, I, I honestly think doing that, doing the film, if you watch it and you look at what all horror fans, I guess to this day almost, what all horror fans like in a film, it was almost a love letter to um, fans. And then by adding Vincent Price in, if there was any mistake that it wasn't, that was that just put that to rest because it, you checked off all the boxes. You got the gore, you got the comedy, you got the action, you got the guns, you got the not really nudity, but you get the pretty girl, you got this and that, you got whatever, and you got Vincent Price. And it's like, come on, really? Like, what else is there? This is just fantastic. Yeah, there's nothing else that they put in. And then you even get a cameo by Professor uh, Teru Tanaka. <laughs> you know, I was just like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's sub zero, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, now, I can suspend my dis- disbelief for many, many things. The one thing I can't suspend my disbelief for is that Treat Williams would be able to lay out Taru t- Tanaka with one punch. Don't believe it. <laughs> I can believe everything else. I can believe that there's a, a resurrection mas- machine, but I ain't believing that Treat's got it in him to knock him down with one punch. <laughs> now, this is one thing that I've never thought of before that I had an epiphany while watching today. And I want to know if you think there, if, if, if there's any holes in, in my theory here. Now, when they get to Ch- the Chinatown and they're questioning Thule, and Thule t- turns on the little mini reanimator in the middle of the, you know, the overhead uh, at the restaurant or at the little deli, mm-hmm. 
right. and it reanimates all you know the half dead ducks and, and and the blob of liver that tries to smother <laughs> <laughs> treat williams starts slapping yeah right. yeah great stuff i mean just like talk about like something coming out of way out of left field that was way out of left field but this <laughs> is my little bit that i think is a little bit of uh, a plot hole or maybe maybe it was just a, a, a centralized reanimation unit considering what happens at the end when they how they they get mcnab they want you know he they realize that you know he was the one that that, that killed roger so they're going to get him and he takes the coward's way out by shooting himself in the head and then they put him on the <laughs> resurrection table to bring resurrect him, him a set yeah to bring him back and, and say hey, you want to see what happens when resurrect somebody twice because rebecca had figured out that if you can't just zap somebody again it had dire consequences and it right. makes him explode Okay, now wouldn't the mini reanimator, the rejuvenator that they used, wouldn't it have destroyed both Roger and Randy in the Chinatown deli because they were re they were both you know had already been resurrected, or is that maybe am I just putting too were much? They in both, were they both at that time? Yeah, because uh, uh, Doug was later, a little later on, wasn't he? Not Doug. Ro I, mean, I meant Roger and Randy. Randy was already. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was already um, resurrected, and Roger had been long resurrected by that point. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, they probably just didn't. They, there was so much going on there. Just like, just have fun with the movie. <laughs> they, I, yeah, that's what I thought. Like, probably afterwards, after they had it edited together, like, ooh, we kind of like fucked up our own lore here. But I, I, I never. I, I, I mean, it doesn't take anything away from the enjoyment of the movie because it's just a silly fun ride. But it was just something I put a couple little asterisks by on this particular watch. I mean, I'd watched this movie dozens of times over the years, and it's just something that I never quite, you know what I mean? I just never quite considered until this time. It's like, hmm. Right. So, uh, no, and, and, you make sense with, with that point. But I, I like I said, you... And this is not a bad thing. You read into stuff a lot of times like Kim does. Um, sometimes I don't think even think she's paying attention to half the moves that make her mind. <laughs> and she's like, well, that doesn't make sense. Because about an hour ago, this and this happened. I'm like, I didn't know you were watching that. And you're thinking too much. <laughs> this is, yeah, I, I like common sense in movies, you know, and I try to write them where I don't leave any plot holes and everything else but that doesn't detract from me at all i i don't i don't oh it doesn't detract from my enjoyment <laughs> of the movie at all but it just made me go huh yeah. i mean this is a movie that's you know 33 years old and i probably watched it probably at least 33 times Same and yeah. it was something that i never you know i only had picked out like oh wait a minute maybe maybe <laughs> uh, maybe i'll maybe i'm just reading too much into it but I love how like Thule is experimenting. You know, he ha he has the little mini mini reanimator. He has a mini reanimator in his deli, and then one backstage where he's just reanimating duck heads. Right. Like such a minor character, but such a uh, just a great little gimmick that he's you know. And also, I recognized him from Gremlins this time around. I didn't realize he was the the keeper <laughs> the of the Mogwai. Yeah, exactly. Yep. He looks so much di so different in this movie. It's like, oh shit. Yeah. Right. Oh, uh, but um, I, I love you know when they get to it's actually a, one of the couple touching moments in this movie. <clears throat> Aside from when Doug is sitting like just completely, just completely torn apart after Roger is dead, and he's talking about how he died like you know dogs were supposed to die, and he's yeah. really Joe Piscopo's bringing it during this scene. He it's really good, does. Good actor. Great actor. And 
Well, I think he also brings it during the scene when Roger realizes they both bring it in the scene to show that they had chops is when Roger realizes that he's, no, they're writing his obituary. Great scene. He's like, and he has that moment. He's like, you know, husband of nobody, father of none. And he has this kind of moment where he's like, fuck, what did I do with my life? I only have six hours left. And he's yep. going to be ter- turned into, as Rebecca put it, organic stew. He's going to dissolve. Yeah. And I mean, it's, he doesn't have a, much time left, you know? Right. No, that was a, that, that's a really good, that's a really good scene. I like that scene. It's that that movie had, it had, um, it had heart. It had um, sincerity. It was freaking hilarious and it, it delivered all the goods for horror fans i mean it really did but it had everything it was it was um only thing and i guess we'll get to but only thing that i would have liked differently was the ending um but i don't mind the ending at all i just would have not had that ending <clears throat> uh, well if that's, let's go ahead and get to, to the ending we don't have to talk about it completely in linear for, form i mean like what what is it about the ending that you find like kind of lacking they're, they're they're actually i mean roger's literally probably an hour away from just withering away forever and doug's probably not very far behind him i really would have liked them to have um thrown each other in the machine zapped each other do whatever they could do to uh, reverse it um or at least did something to take louder milk up on his offer like you i'll give you guys eternal life or whatever and then maybe off him after that or something like i i just would have liked to know that they're not just literally walking off and i know they had some funny lines when they were going to be in heaven and doing all that but i just think it would have been i'd rather them to have you know been healed <laughs> so to speak <laughs> you wanted it because you wanted to see a sequel yeah oh i love sequels but i mean just yeah. they could still always you could always do a sequel there's always room for a sequel that's my that's my mantra in life <laughs> exactly there's always room for a as, second as one. i write cool summer two right now and, and base it on that mantra so like that line holds a lot in the movie so who knows but yeah, I always thought. I guess that. they did I, try I, I to. Uh, I, I did find out a little bit of looking through the trivia and whatnot, which there's not much in this. Is that they did uh, producers had asked the Terry Black who had wrote it to try to come up with a sequel, and he's like, both the heroes walk away and die at the end. He's like, how do we do that? And he's like, you have a resurrection mach- resurrection machine. Figure it out. Right. You know, <laughs> which I I feel like is well, that's that's very true. I would have loved to see the sequel to this. I mean, hell, if they can make a sequel to Weekend at Bernie's, they can make a sequel to Dead Heat, for crying out loud. <laughs> exactly. And they still can. You know, they crank out sequels 40 years later to movies that are less impactful than this one. So, you know, do yeah. it. Tick's both still around. Do it. Yeah, exactly. Go for it. I mean, why not? I mean, they've made sequels to, to a, lot <laughs> a lot worse movies, I would say. Uh the one scene, see, the one scene that I, I, I kind of like the ending. I mean, I, I feel like that even the way I, they I ended like it, they... I, I would have preferred a different ending, but I liked it. It didn't detract from the film at all. I, it ended fine. I would have rather it ended the other way, but no, it's fine. But the one, there's one scene that that gets to me is a bit of a, a letdown is how they discover Doug dead, hanging upside down, drowned in the yeah, they, and and the aquarium. They both were kind of like, eh. I thought they would have reacted more. Right, that. especially Roger. Right, he was just like, "Oh, let's cut him down." Like, you know, I would have, would have, if they weren't going to show, you know, Joe Piscopo putting up a fight and you know, and getting taken out by these thugs and whatnot, which I would don't believe for a second that he would have let himself be taken out like that. But who knows, you know, how it happened. But it's just the fact that it happened <laughs> off camera and that uh, Roger and Randy both kind of seem 
sort of dismissive. I mean, they've seen a lot of death and a lot of weird things happen in the last couple hours, but it just seemed very dismissive. It's like, oh, well, I guess he's dead. We'll just move on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I agree. But I I think one of the highlights of this movie has got to be we're getting we've already talked about the ending, but there's one thing we'd still got to talk about a little bit is uh, I wanted to talk about our favorite effect of the movie. My favorite mm. effect of the movie is when Randy has her <clears throat> confessional. And she's, you know, she has taken a shower and she's sitting there and Roger comes in to kind of ask her what's going on. And uh, she is, you know, finally confesses to him that, no, she didn't meet, you know, Louder Milk, who's first she lied that he was her father. Then she lied about, oh, I met him in the hospital and I was recovering from drug addiction. Nope, she met him in there because, like her, like him, he was, she was dead. And then she literally just disintegrates in front of him. Her arm falls off, her face starts melting off, head rolls to the round, and is still talking to her, to him as she's dying. And it's just like you know, she's asking him to. That was really good effect with the with the skull still talking, laying upside down. That that was good. I like that. I was impressed with that one. Yeah, that was my favorite effect scene. Was that your was that yours as well, or do you have a favorite? No, I I, I was very impressed with that though, because again, we're dealing without really. Yes, they had camera trickery, but they didn't have CGI. Um, and it's it's tough to do that. And that looked somewhat. If you really look at it, it looks like maybe it was animated, cartooned on there or whatever, you know, draw. But it looked great. It looked really good, and it got the really sold that scene. That scene was good. That was definitely the the darkest moment of the whole film. Um, I think that uh, my favorite effect is just when McNabb blows up. That's just so over the top. It's fantastic. It was, <laughs> him. It was brilliant. It was just perfect. <laughs> Bam. That's like, yeah. <laughs> it I, I love it. I love messy. it when uh, Treat Williams is like, you want to see what happens when you, you reanimate somebody twice? And Joe Piscopo's is like, nah, really, man. <laughs> <laughs> No, that was good stuff. I just it was it was bloody, excessive, over the top, perfect, good fuck you to that character. It was perfect. And you can tell Mc uh, McNabb, well, not McNabb, but McGavin. Okay, McNabb and McGavin. I get I get them mixed up. <laughs> but McGavin as McNabb is just having a ball, especially yeah. when the scene happens when Roger comes in. He's really starting to fall apart at this time. He's starting to look like one of the, the a walking corpse, which he is. And McNabb has all these mannequin heads with different toupees, and he's combing his toupee, like, and he's treating it like he's petting a cat or petting a dog that he loves. And he's just like, you know, when he comes in, it's, it's the whole James Bond scene. You know, the hero's got the, the villain cornered, and he's kind of explained the whole thing, but, you know, he he does the classic uh, Bond villain mistake by leaving the hero alive. You know, he's just like, I'm going to let you just die here in this this airtight, soundproof ambulance. And I love the scene. It's one of the most funny laugh out loud scenes when uh, Roger makes the, you know, makes the ambulance crash. And, you know, they they already got him zipped up in a body bag. He's he's half burned up. He unzips the body bag, sits up and he's just he's charred. He's just yep. charged practically the bone, and he's like, "Take it easy, Mister. You're not well." <laughs> it's, I could walk up to him with his badge, They're like you're a cop or whatever. You're a detective. He's like, oh. yeah, "Surprise!" <laughs> By the way, officer, I'm going to need your gun and your motorcycle now, and he just hands it over. Like, great. 
the best part, you know, the, the what I show up for, you know, there's so many things to show up for in this movie is when Vincent Price shows up at the end, when it's kind of revealed that, you know, McNabb reveals, that, hey, let me let, uh, you know, Arthur speak for himself. And he kind of steps out from the shadows and he's like, hello, you know, I can't do a good Vincent Price, so please forgive <laughs> me, people. You know, I don't, don't don't worry, I'm smacking myself, but it's just great. And there's just like, kill him. Why can't you kill him? Shut up, you old fart. You old fart. <laughs> I mean, it's Darren. I think only because it's Darren McGavin that he gets away with it. Because anybody telling, you know, Vincent Price it's to shut up, you old fart, and deserves to have the shit slapped out of him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, as, as, Vincent Price is great. He he really isn't, and he was very impressive in this one. He really was. It's small role, but you know they always say there's no small roles, only small actors, and he certainly was not. Uh, and it was apparent after watching him uh, in this scene that he was literally in a movie with the with the video footage and the stuff at the end. He was in it maybe 10 minutes. Um, no, maybe of that. It, it did, yeah, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter. He brought it. With that being said, I think we can sum up our, our final thoughts and review this sucker. Um, you know how we do things around here. We give our final thoughts and do a rating on a scale from 1 to 10. So go right ahead. Give it a 9. I love this movie. It's not perfect. That's the only reason I didn't give it a ten, but I give it a nine. I, I'm coming in the same same number as you. I'm giving it a nine. It's just you know, it's about as perfect as a movie can be. You know, with no movie is perfect, but it was well, the epitome. It was the epitome of eighties. You know, but God, and I love it for all the right and all the wrong reasons. Right, exactly. It's a great film. If you haven't seen it, shame on you. Go see it. Um, whoever's listening, but uh, it's it's just amazing. It's a great film. Yeah, you can uh, watch it. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, you can watch it uh, for free on Tubi if you uh, pervade the Tubi. Um, yeah, and it's, it's pretty available, available. On, yeah. on DVD and physical media. You can find it just about anywhere pretty cheap. Yeah, it's it's worth it. And I would highly recommend it. And like uh, Scott just said here, if if you've seen it and you love it, then you're one of the few that know. If you've seen it and don't love it, I don't know what's wrong with you. And if you haven't seen it, you know, shame on you. Well, I think we can put a pin in this one for the evening. Uh, I want to thank you again. You know, I know you're busy, busy getting the uh, Cruel Summer 2 prepped and ready to go. Uh, but do you have anything else uh, that you want to pimp for the moment before we sign off for the evening? Um, no, I will say that uh, we're trying a little something different, though. Cruel Summer 1, people have been asking for. And what we're going to do with that one is we're basically going to be uh, we have a big streaming deal in place that it should be available everywhere pretty much everywhere um i would say the first quarter of 2022 it's up to the distributor but it should be all over the place and then what we're going to do independently is be um, selling dvds and blu-rays and they're both going to have different artwork and different uh content other than the film film will be the same but extra bonus content and i'm planning a vhs release a limited vhs release for cool summer because it's the kind of movie that uh lends itself to being played on a vcr so uh that's my yes goal. it does Get on vhs as well which uh is looking more and more likely so just stay tuned for that stay tuned for any uh coming up events i don't know when this is going to air uh but uh it, it'll have... air by the end of the month so probably in about three weeks okay so yeah uh definitely have some few events coming up and uh look for maybe some screenings for all summer and There'll probably be a casting call, at least part, because I have a lot of cast filled already for Cool Summer 2, if anyone's interested. So follow me on Facebook. Keep an eye out for stuff. And uh, 
thanks for the support. Support Indie Film, support Cameron, and support um, all his projects, for sure. Yes, like he said, like the man just said, support, <laughs> support, support. Yep. And that includes liking links, giving us a, a review, preferably a good one, you know, or just uh, download and listen to the episodes, write us, let us know what you it, think. It really We're, is true. It's, it's not even about donating money or people don't have money. You know, if everyone can, anyone ever gives a dollar or two dollars or five dollars, I appreciate that so much because I understand the value of a dollar. I know people don't have money and I appreciate that. But it means just as much to us. And it, obviously that helps us make movies. You know, right, we can't right. Just, goodwill can't get our film made. But that helps. You have no idea just by sharing the link and spreading the word and doing else. That helps so much, especially since all these big companies and all these big social media sites now, unless you start paying for stuff, they start shutting you down, shutting your avenues down. People don't have money for that. So help spread the word and get it out there. Damn the man. <laughs> get yeah. it done. We can Help still make out. it happen, folks. We all band totally. together. We can we yep. can put it to the man. <laughs> it's true. Well, that being said, folks, thank you once again for tuning in to Vincent Price Appreciation Month. I have been your host, Cameron Scott. This has been my buddy and co-host, Scott Temperman. And we have been reviewing and dissecting in part Dead Heat from 1988. So thank you for listening and keep tuning in back for more. You're under arrest. You have the right to remain disgusting. Sure, that's necessary. You can't be too careful. Martin! The craziest, stupidest, most dumb fuck stunt I ever saw. No, please, don't thank me, Lieutenant. I get my thanks from helping others. You better believe the captain's going to hear about this. Gee, you think I want a word with us? 